Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Uh, move higher for U.S. equities on this Monday. S&P 500 index on track for a 10-month high. Fed Chair Janet Yellen signaling the economy is still strengthening enough to withstand gradual increases in borrowing costs despite recent signs of slower job growth. S&P 500 index up 12 to 2111, a gain of six-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ up 32, a gain of seven-tenths of one percent. Dow Industrials up 134 points, up eight-tenths of one percent. Tenure down 9.30 seconds at yield 1.73 percent. Gold up 5.70 the ounce to 12.48, a gain of five-tenths of one percent. And crude oil up a dollar ten a barrel, 49.72. That's a gain of 2.3 percent. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet, thank you so very much. Time now for the ETF report brought to you by Vanek Vectors ETFs. Expect more from your munis. Target tax-exempt income by maturity and credit quality, all with low-cost ETFs. Visit vanek.com slash muni. Vanek, access the opportunities. For ETF report, we bring in Catherine Cattery. There's a new class of ETFs that's taking the industry by storm. What we're seeing now with low-volatility products is what we saw two years ago with currency hedging. It is the flavor of the month. Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Eric Baltuna says an example is USMV, or the iShares Edge MSCI Minimum Volatility USA ETF. It's attracted $5.4 billion so far this year, putting it in the top five in terms of inflows. The reason? Baltuna says there's fear in the market. And this product basically is a minimum volatility product. So it basically gives you S&P exposure, right? So you get large cap stocks, but it is designed in a way to give you less volatility. So it's about 20% less the ups and downs. It's basically like taking the edge off of the market, or it's like a Diet Coke version of the market, um, in that you get to participate in some of the upside, not all of it, but you get less downside. Baltuna says low-volatility ETFs are now big business, with about $25 billion invested in about 35 low-volatility products. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Volatile financial markets, unprecedented central banks over the past few years that have taken us to places that no one could have imagined, places like negative interest rates, the relation between U.S. and China, so many things hanging over the markets now. Who better to ask where are we and where are we going next than Leo Malamud? Of course, he is the founder of Financial Futures, the man who went from chairman of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to create the international monetary market, leading the CME then in uh, creating a number of important financial instru- instruments from uh, foreign currency futures to T-bills, euro dollars, stock index futures. He spearheaded the world's first electronic trading system, Globex, and so much more. And he joins me now on Taking Stock. Welcome to the show. Welcome. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, it's a real treat. So let's start with where we are in the U.S. when it comes to the Federal Reserve. At this point, Leo, what should people be doing? Just kind of putting, you know, shutting out the Fed noise or saying, wow, Janet Yellen is still worried about the labor market, doesn't sound very aggressive on rates. What What is your take there? Well, you know, she she's between a hard a rock and a hard place because it is it is true that we are a part of a, a international 
system. It's not just the sea. It's not just the United States by itself. It's a, it's a ocean of problems around us that, that she has to deal with. And our progress has been, um, really very, very slow in, in terms of recovery from the 2008, uh, crash. And so, yes, we are in, we're certainly on a better trajectory than the rest of the world, but we can't live alone. We are, all our trading partners are in trouble. Europe is in trouble. Japan is in trouble. China is in trouble. Who, who are we going to sell our goods to? And how are we going to recover if, if no one else around us does? That's her problem. And I understand it. Well, speaking of China, uh, the president is in China, the U.S.-China economic dialogue underway. Uh, Jack Liu criticizing the, well, maybe urging the Chinese to take some steps to signal monetary policy better. Those, uh, the, the islands that are disputed that are becoming more and more contentious all the time. What does, what does, Ch- where is China now? And what, you just mentioned the fact that if they're not growing, what that means for the U.S. and the rest of the world. That's right. And, and I, I think in their, their trend of, um, less growth is going to continue for a while. Uh, you know, we look, we look to be able to have a 2% GDP. They're talking about a 6%. I don't even think that they can reach 6%. So it sounds like, you know, they're much better off than we are, but they're not because they've, they've got a, a real bad issue in non-performing loans which occurred as a result of coming out of the 2008 um, uh, debacle that the world had, and they sort of recovered from that because they just threw money into the system. Now, that was okay for a little while, but it's continued to a point where the non-performing loans throughout their uh, private sector is such that I, I don't know what they're going to do with that. So, uh, I, you know, one of the things that they do is, uh, you know, you may if you can't do something domestically maybe you do something internationally and that's where the islands come in so they're going to they're going to be you know difficult to deal with on that because they've got internal problems right now you know just the opposite of what some uh, people are saying about china doing manipulations or eating our lunch or things like that, that that's just simply not true at the moment china is having a tough time just staying steady in fact they have to support the the their currency because it would fall um, much more if they didn't. So it's not, a, I wouldn't say it's in good shape at all. Well, you know, quite apart from the economic fundamentals and, and the, the political leadership, there is the question of the markets in China and their structure. As somebody who who revolutionized financial markets in the U.S. and around the world, what what is what is China's big challenge now? What Where are they and how, where do they need to go next to really have mature, open, you know, internationally powerful markets? That's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard answer, hard question to answer. You know, you got to understand that what they want to do is to become a, a consuming society because they, they, they grew out of exports. And right now their exports, of course, have diminished considerably because of the rest of the world uh, situation. And so what they've been trying to do is change from an export society to a consumption society. That's not easy to do at any time because we're talking about a, you know, a huge, huge population. So um, it's hard at any time, but 
harder yet during a time when the conditions in the world are not that good. Now, overall, China has done miraculously well. We all understand that in the past 30 years, they, their, their ability to bring out um, their nation from poverty and from uh, really, truly uh, difficult uh economic world to a competitor in the world to someone to a nation that is second to the United States. So you can't deny that they are capable people and they are capable and they have capable leadership. But you know when when a uh, totalitarian type government uh can out how distance the rest of the world with quick decisions and so forth is a good thing at times, but when it continues to do that and doesn't know when to stop and hasn't got the the kind of um, naysayers openly disputing their their plan, um, they don't know how to stop, and that's their problem that they're still continuing to throw money into um, operations and buildings that and cities that are ghost cities and so forth. Major problems. Leo, do you see potential for another financial crisis? Japan. I do. Again, you, okay, where? How? What? What do? You, what do you see? Well, I just see that the, that you know you're dealing with negative interest rates. It's it's unheard of. It's it's not the kind of thing that's going to work, and it isn't working. You've got Japan. Uh, what they've been in a depression now for 25 years, and they can't seem to get out of it. It's getting worse. And Europe. Uh, maybe it's in a little better shape than Japan, but it isn't that much better. And they've got internal problems. You've got Greece and you've got Italy. And now you have even the, the Brexit situation. And the British people, um, you know, one can't even blame them if they say we don't want to be part of that. So all of this is a condition that does not call for uh, a great rebound. I think, uh, I don't know that we'll go back into a recession, but we're certainly not going to be in a growth uh, mode either. Final question before I let you go. What indicator, is there one thing people should be watching closely as as that sign maybe that that's where we're heading? Oh, I, I really, I really think the corporate spending has to pick up, and and if you saw that happen, but to do that you need a, tech, a tax structure that uh, is much more, um, much more inviting of uh, of corporate spending. So, um, I, I really, I really think that we we have to have some fiscal changes. Leo Malamed, thank you so very much for joining us. He is concerned about uh, financial excesses in China. He's concerned about negative interest rates in Japan not working. He says there is potential for a financial crisis. And he's hoping that maybe some fiscal steps could be taken to get corporate spending going again. This is Taking Stock. I'm Kathleen Hayes, and this is Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Radio.